0: Welcome to With Heart and Wonder. This is a place for us to explore heart-centered living and to celebrate what it means to live with wonder with awe and appreciation for the possibilities that are within us and around us. I'm Megan Johnston, and I am truly so honored and excited that you are here. Let's dive in and journey together. You are listening to episode 38 of With Heart and Wonder. I'm Megan and if we haven't met before, it is always such a deep pleasure to have the space to connect and and really to explore what it looks like to be living in, in a way that really celebrates mindfulness and the possibilities that are around us and within us when we come into a state of presence and I really think a huge part of that is paying attention to our emotions. So today's episode is a little bit unique in the sense that what you are about to hear is our second time recording. I had probably my biggest podcast faux pas, which is I forgot to hit the record button the first time that Tasia and I recorded this, Um, but it was such an honor to, to have her back to re-record the episode and um and to chat all about emotions. The other thing I did want to mention is you'll hear later on that we talk a little bit about a post that I made last week and um you can check it out on Instagram but really it was um just a post sharing some of my experiences sitting with my emotions and especially some of the experiences I've had in relationship to this career path. Um, So let's dive in. I am so thrilled to be joined today by the incredible Tasia. I honestly can't wait for you to get to, to know her. And I mean, so we'll we'll say this right at the beginning. We had recorded an episode last <laughs> weekend and it was incredible. And Tasia like knocked it out of the park. Um, and then we finished up and realized that I had forgotten to hit record my first time <laughs> ever. And um Gosh, what what a, a fun realization that was! But it, um, both of <laughs> us, both of us, are just like holding space for it all right now. And I think, in many ways, that little little episode is is representative of, um, oh gosh, I think so much that that we're all going through right now. And and our conversation is going to be about emotions today. And I I honestly. I think we're all going through so many ebbs and flows right now, well, always, but right now in particular, and and a lot of heightened either emotions or kind of like a heightened um, impulse to be numbing things as well, I think is, is what happens for some folks. Um, but Tasia has so much wisdom to share. So I am so excited to have you back again. I know.
1: Thank you. Thank um, you.
0: Yeah. Um, and I would so love for you to start us off just by sharing a little bit about you and your work and how you come to be doing this work.
1: Mm, thank you so much for having me, Megan. It's honestly such an honor to be here. And I have to say, for the second time, I'm really excited to re-record this podcast. <laughs> um, although I do feel as though, and I will, you know, toot my own horn here, I think I did a really awesome job the first time. You I'm so really nice. glad. that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy to report that I completely forgot everything that we had said. So I'm hoping that this is just kind of a fresh new spin on emotions and all of the feelings that we've been feeling lately. Um, so thank you for giving me a second chance.
0: <laughs> thank you for oh my gosh all of your grace and patience and um and humor as well. Gosh, yeah, life <laughs> life is always better with a little bit of humor and I so Oh yeah,
1: life that. happens. Life happens. Just got to roll with it. So I guess to answer your question a little bit about myself, uh, my name is Tasha. I'm a psychotherapist in private practice here in Ottawa. So I run my psychotherapy practices called Shine Psychotherapy and Mindfulness. I do a lot of work with uh, somatic healing, which has to do with uh, the way in which these emotional experiences manifest themselves in the body in particular. So I work very closely with folks who've survived trauma, I work very closely with a lot of folks who are experiencing burnout, who are either looking for tools to help with burnout prevention or to help with burnout recovery. And I also work with a lot of stress and anxiety in my private practice. And I teach mindfulness. I teach mindfulness courses. I do eight-week programs. And I'm in the process of doing my mindful self-compassion teacher training, which has been lovely. So I'm looking forward to offering that in the future. So a little bit about what I do.
0: Amazing! Thank you so much for sharing. And and I think um, I think one of the things that can surprise people about therapy sometimes um, and finding a, a therapist is that sometimes we don't realize like how vast there is like in terms of different types of approaches. And I definitely think um, I mean I really resonate with some of the approaches that you use in terms of bringing mindfulness and compassion and inquiry and, um, and definitely somatics into therapy, Mm. which I think is, is so, I, I really resonate with that as someone who works so much with the body and, and with embodied perspectives. And I think, um, I think when it comes to emotions, a lot of times, um, people are kind of surprised to like think about the, um, the connection between like an emotion that we feel and how that emotion is resonating in the body or, or or maybe that emotion has had an effect on our body that mm. for quite some time you know that we haven't been able to to kind of articulate or understand and so i wanted to maybe we could start just by talking a little bit about the connection between emotions and the body from your perspective um and uh and shed some light on that
1: yeah of course of course i mean i think just saying it outright that emotions are a body-based experience and emotions start in our body is a very radical approach to emotions because the way that a lot of psychological research has developed over time, there was this this emphasis on the mind, this emphasis on cognition Mm. and this sort of top-down approach to, you know, the way in which we treat emotional experiences like if we can change our thoughts then we can change our mood and notwithstanding the fact that that is true there's a lot more um, literature and a lot more support towards the somatic experiencing of emotions and how that is actually becoming you know the forefront of a lot of psychological research and psychological literature right now which I find to be fascinating yeah I've always been very into somatic approaches I actually have a history of teaching yoga and teaching meditation before I even entered the world of psychology and psychotherapy. So it was really beautiful to have all of this body-based work and just kind of molding it through this contemporary neuroscience approach, because I'm a huge science geek, I should say. (laughs) So this like contemporary understanding of the way in which emotions show up in the body. So I find that that is just such a fascinating um, and a pretty radical way of viewing emotions in and of themselves in right? you
0: know, a western perspective especially I mean I think yes. like what's so interesting about this conversation is um like in a lot of eastern philosophies and ways of knowing mm-hmm. like the emotions and the body have been like inextricably linked and that that oh, is totally. like part of like ways of um even like diagnostic tools. If we look at like, you know, I'm in, we were talking actually just before we started recording about Ayurveda and um, yeah. traditional Chinese medicine. And um, like one example that comes to mind that's been showing up a lot in, in my private work with clients recently and, and just in and friends and family is, um, in a lot of Eastern traditions, like grief is seen as being located in our lungs. And, um, you know, there's, there's more research kind of coming out around this. And and we're still kind of uncovering the way in which um, that, that works but there's like a a sensation sometimes for people who are experiencing grief where and they'll say like they'll say it feels like I can't take a breath or it feels like I can't breathe or I haven't been able to take a a deep breath for weeks or months now and so Mm. there's like this like connection and then when we start to you know whether it is like through embodied work, whether it's through more cognitive therapy or a combination of the two, we can start to kind of um, like unlock the breath. And perhaps as we Mm. unlock the breath, we might feel that grief or our relationship to it start to change. And to me, that is so cool. And I know for you, it probably is. Um, And so it's really, it's really, I think, cool to see that, Western science is starting to like pay a whole lot more attention and that there's some really cool organizations and institutes doing neat work around like how the emotions affect things like our heart rate and our nervous system and, and like vice versa, which I think, and I know that work is really close to your heart as well.
1: Absolutely. And there's so much in what you said there, Megan. And I think this is actually probably a really good opportunity to just take a moment to position myself um, as a white woman, a cisgendered white woman, um, middle class, wherein, you know, everything that I'm sharing here, and a lot of um, what I'm going to be talking about today, it is filtered through that lens of experience and through that lens of privilege. And I think it's really important to identify that first and foremost. Um, And for anybody who's listening to this podcast right now, uh, who may be marginalized in some way, or, you know, you might belong to a community of folks who are not necessarily listened to, that you might be receiving a lot of this information through your own lens. And I just want to say to all of the listeners right now that whatever the way, uh, however you're experiencing what we're saying right now that is completely valid, that is totally valid, and I'm always looking for feedback and always willing to listen. And I think um, I'm I'm really doing my best to incorporate the experiences of the BIPOC community, the LGBTQ community as part of this like larger social context in which my practice in which I can show up right As, as, as a practitioner, as a therapist. Okay, so I'd, I'd really like to kind of hold space for all of that. Yeah. Now, um, you had said something really interesting um, about the Western philosophies. And, uh, you know, it is, it is you know, the first foundation of Buddhism is the foundation of the body. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, the first thing that they write, and I'm pretty sure the Buddha um, had prefaced this in like the Satipatthana Sutta, where they, you know, you basically said like the first foundation of mindfulness is mindfulness of the body. Yeah. And that is really disregarded in a lot of um, Western ideologies where we really privilege this, you know, being productive. We really privilege being, um, you know, just thought focused. Right. Exactly. There's, there's this like unawareness of the body and right. And you and you were talking a little bit about the breath. I couldn't help to think and how the breath is so activating for so many folks, especially members of the Black community, as they, as we'd all witnessed, you know, the death of George Floyd and his final words being, I can't breathe and how that experience in and of itself can just be so challenging. And so it's important to hold a lot of space for that just by hearing those words that can be quite activating. Yes, And I think the activation is the response that our nervous system has been damaged or conditioned in some way, shape or form so I think it is important maybe to bring the nervous system into this conversation because that's yeah. like the foundation of sure is. emotions in our body. It's all in our our beautiful and complex nervous system, which I have so much love for.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So tell us a little bit about the connection between the nervous system and and our emotional states and, and that mm-hmm. interrelationship between the two.
1: Totally, totally. Well, the nervous system is – Basically, our body's highway of information, right? It starts at the brain stem. Well, it's, it is located in our brain. It starts in our brain. And um, the highway is our brain stem. So, our spinal cord that, is, that connects like every single corner of our body and every cell of our body as well. So, it's important to note that our body is constantly in relationship to the world around us, whether that's through our five senses or through our perception. Now, perception is the, I like to kind of explain perception as like the lens through which we're all viewing the world. Mm -hmm. So so like I'm wearing a pair of glasses and you're wearing a pair of glasses and our glasses are not going to look the same. We're not going to be seeing the same exact amount of information based on our set of respected glasses because our glasses are based on our conditioning. They're based on the way in which we were raised and parented. They're based on early childhood experiences, early childhood trauma, anything like that. And, and, and the biggest one of all of that is our social conditioning, mm-hmm. right? So our social conditioning very much affects our perception. So our nervous system is also in relationship to our perception. So the second thing to note about the nervous system is that the nervous system will read whether we are threatened or whether we are safe. So it's very black or white. It's very binary in that sense, Okay. And this kind of goes back to an evolutionary perspective where hunters and gatherers used to have to fight off very real life-threatening animals and very real life-threatening, you know, weather conditions and all of that in order for their tribe to survive, right? So the hunter-gatherer would have to constantly be scanning their environment for threat. And if there was a saber-toothed tiger that started to approach the hunter-gatherer, started to approach the caveman then their nervous system would basically fire off and create the fight-flight-freeze response. And that is basically the surge of adrenaline, the surge of epinephrine, and all of these other hormones in our body that make it so that we can either be stronger than the saber-toothed tiger and fight it, then we can be faster than the saber-toothed tiger and run away, or we can feign death well enough to freeze Wherein our body actually experiences this this interesting shutdown, and I'm gonna get to that, um, especially when we talk about this pandemic. Um, So that if we can feign death, naturally, the saber-toothed tiger is not interested anymore. So then it runs away, okay? So naturally, fast forward like millions of years, we are not in a state of threat constantly. We're not, not as human beings. We don't have that sort of um, life or death sort of saber-toothed tiger running around and threatening us right but what we do have are we have all of these systems of oppression that exist that can create threat in the bodies of marginalized communities so that's that activation of the fight or flight and we also have events that can happen to us traumatizing events that can happen to us um, you know whether it would be something in childhood something in adulthood that actually creates the same stress response in the body because trauma is viewed as a saber-toothed tiger, basically. Okay. So now, even though we don't have the same amount of life or death death threats, and we don't need to necessarily fend for our lives the way in which we did, you know, millions of years ago, that threat system, that threat appraisal system is still constantly active. Okay. So the nervous system is basically what activates the stress response. And then that is our somatic experiencing of these emotions, whether it be stress, whether it be anxiety, whether it be anger. Anger can be very activating as well, whether it be trauma, grief, sadness, et cetera. That's kind of the nervous system's role in the way in which we experience emotions.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So, and then if we could talk a little bit about, because I think you were, I think we can have kind of different relationships with our emotions. And I think sometimes there's like a hyper awareness that develops to emotions, but then on the Mm -hmm. flip side, especially if we're thinking of, of kind of like that freeze response, we can be in this state where, um, where we kind of numb ourselves to our emotions or, or to our reality. And it's almost like we're like shoving things in a closet because we don't want to feel it. And and that can be for like a period of hours or days or weeks or years Mm. in some cases where we've like suppressed certain things and, and we aren't ready to kind of engage with our emotions in, in healthy ways. Um, and so I'd love to chat a little bit about that when it happens mm. and, and like what can start to happen in our body or what can start to happen as well, like cognitively, um, if yes. we're in that habit of like constantly trying to like push through our, our emotions, which I think um, like happens for lots of different reasons. And I think one of them, which you, you talked about was like this kind of societal obsession we have with productivity and the fact that like, mm. I know in my own story, like my relationship with emotions and I was a teenager, it was very much like, these emotions are slowing me down and they need to like get out of the way because I got stuff to do, you know? (laughs) And like, and so like, a lot of us, I think like see emotions. And so a big turning point for me was actually when I was 19 and I was like presented with this view of, of thinking about emotions more as like, like gifts and guideposts that were there to like invite Mm -hmm. some sort of inquiry and learning. Um, but I think a lot of us see them as obstacles most of the time, yeah. rather than these kind of like opportunities to actually journey closer to ourselves. Yes,
1: yes, yes, absolutely. 110%. And there's so much in what you said there, right? So I'd, I'd like to kind of take some time to unpack that because on one hand, we have the somatic experiencing of an emotion, mm-hmm. whether it's because we feel or we're internalizing threat in some particular way, whether, um, and, and threat again, that's really based on our perception. That's based on our past experiences that are coming to show up in this moment. And we're filtering out what's, what's happening right here. And now through our own particular lens, right. Through those pairs of glasses. Right. So, I mean, you know, if you have a history of people pleasing, for instance, and your boss says, Hey, Megan, I need you to work late tonight because I have all of these deliverables that I need you to do, right? And so setting boundaries might not necessarily be in your wheelhouse. And when you have that, that request, and your boss is giving you, there's this activation of the nervous system, because it's seen as very threatening. And if you can't deliver what your boss is expecting of you, then there is that, um, that is that is internalized as a threat. And that creates this anxiety, right? And Now that's the somatic experiencing. And then there's this there's this attitude that we have towards emotions. And I think that's exactly what you're speaking of. Like a lot of us have these internalized beliefs and it does come from a very, it does come from that larger social context. It does come from this culture that we have of perfectionism and people pleasing and, um,
0: Gender too. Was, I didn't. Talk yeah, about gender. That all, but yeah. Gendered ideas around especially yeah. for um those who like identify as males and and there's all mm-hmm. sorts of stuff around masculinity and emotions and mm-hmm. yeah, like there's so much mm-hmm. that comes into it.
1: So much gender, race, right? It, there is this like large and, and and wild social context in which emotions are placed. Right. So there's all of this unpacking that kind of needs to be done around that. But that basically creates the stance that we have towards our experience or towards our experience, towards our emotional experience. Right. And the stance be, might be one of wanting to put those emotions away in a closet or wanting to kind of push them down or fearing emotions. Yeah. Right. Because that can be very real. Yeah, that can be very real. Emotions can be very overwhelming. And so it is it, it is there's like all of these different layers to them. And I think at the end of the day, when we can be with our emotions and identify what we're feeling, starting to kind of tease out the stories that we have around our emotions, right? Like I think um, if we were to kind of picture an egg, you know how there's like <laughs> it's such a ridiculous analogy, but I really like it. So there's like the egg yolk is like, the emotion itself that's showing up in your body so it's the yellow right like it's like the egg yolk and then there's the egg white around it and this is like these are the stories that we're telling ourselves around the emotions, right whether these stories are based on past experiences whether these stories are fed through us um through culture um through this like larger social context and various systems of oppression that do exist right? Those are all very real experiences that completely alter the way in which we're meeting our emotions, right? So you're totally right in saying like gender, race, trauma, all of these other things come into play when it comes to meeting our emotions, right? So I'm thinking it might be really important to talk about the polyvagal ladder, which is a tool that I use a lot in my, um, in my practice as a psychotherapist, yeah, just as kind of a way to um, understand what our body is feeling, why our body's feeling it, and how we can basically appraise the threat in a way that is realistic in our life at this time, like a way that we can be with the emotion. And then find a way to call ourselves to action to do something about, you know, these larger systems of oppression that exist in this larger social context. Cause there is this sense of liberation that occurs when we are able to kind of regulate the emotion itself and be with the emotion itself. So then we can make choices on how to respond in a way that is aligned with our values, of course, as opposed to kind of like a mindless reaction. Right. Yeah. So like a, a response might be, or a, A skillful response might be one of setting boundaries or challenging social norms or, you know, speaking in a way that is liberating towards other folks instead of, you know, harming other folks, right? Like a mindless reaction might be one of saying yes all the time to your boss who's giving you all of these deliverables, right? Inevitably creating a lot more stress in your life.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: Okay. So what I'll do is I'll shift towards the latter. And then I'll talk more about this idea of like responding versus reacting.
0: Absolutely. It's such, oh, that, that one is, is, is so helpful, I think for people. So yeah, let's do it. Totally,
1: totally, totally, totally. And I want to kind of weave in this idea of self-care as well, (laughs) because I'm such a big um, uh, self-care activist, but not like, I'm like a radical self-care activist in the sense that I don't believe that self-care has anything to do with like, bubble baths and like getting your nails done and like eating pizza in the name of like, you know, body positivity, which there's a whole conversation we can have around that. But what, what I believe self-care is, is a deeper understanding of yourself and your state of being, your state of your nervous system and responding to your needs as they come up in a way that is aligned with your values.
0: Yeah, that is such a beautiful, like, oh my gosh, that statement was so eloquent, but I think it is because it is all about like, we're thinking about emotions not as obstacles but as these like tools and and yeah. like these these because I truly believe that our bodies are always trying to be- bring us into balance that we have so much resilience mm. and our 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 bodies are trying to communicate with us physically but also mentally and emotionally and that these emotions are there to, yeah. to invite us into deeper relationships so um
1: absolutely yeah absolutely and like I always kind of like to tell folks and I usually I I say this a lot in therapy. And I say this a lot um, in workshops that I do. And a lot of people don't believe me right away. But like, we never want to get rid of these unpleasant emotions, right? We want to learn how to be with them. Mm -hmm. And we want to learn what they're communicating, right? Because unpleasant emotions, like that's a big umbrella of like, things that we quote, unquote, don't want to feel. But an unpleasant emotion is basically our nervous system's way of communicating that there has been a boundary that's been crossed in our life. Um, a value has been violated in some way, shape or form, or there's some sort of discrepancy between like your lived values and your expressed values, like the way that you want to be and the way that you are showing up in the world. And anytime that's like misaligned, that leaves space for anxiety and it leaves space for anger. Yeah, So it's important to listen to these emotions and to ask yourself like, what, what, first of all, what am I feeling? And second of all, What is this emotion trying to teach me? What is this emotion trying to tell me? There's such a deep wisdom in our somatic experience and our emotional experience, and it is so important to pay attention to it. We can't pay attention to it until we have this kind of understanding of what we're dealing with, right? So, I think that's my way of segueing into what's known as the polyvagal ladder. Um, And I use the polyvagal theory to frame my therapy. Um, my practice in psychotherapy, rather. Um, And the polyvagal theory was basically, um, it's this somatic experiencing of emotions and the way in which our nervous system is constantly um, communicating with the world around us. And therefore, we are feeling these emotions based on our nervous system's activation or deactivation, their upregulation or downregulation. And the polyvagal ladder was coined by Um, I'm not sure actually if it was, so Stephen Porges, Dr. Stephen Porges is the, is kind of the founding father of the polyvagal theory. And Deb Dana is a researcher who has taken the polyvagal theory and kind of applied it to contemporary psychotherapy. So she kind of created this framework around the polyvagal theory. So, um, one of the two of them anyway, created this ladder. Okay. And the ladder basically represents three steps that our nervous system, um, three, I guess, spaces on the ladder in which our nervous system can be in, if that sort of makes sense. Okay. So there's one step. The first step is what's known as the green zone. And this is the top of the ladder. So if we were to kind of picture a ladder with three steps, we're at the top here. And this is the green zone. And when we're in the green zone, we're feeling very grounded. We are open to relationships. We are open to communication. We are feeling very aligned with our values and we're able to behave in a way that is aligned with our values, right? So, if you're in the green zone, typically your sensations, the sensations in your body, are that of relaxed, calm, ease, almost kind of this peacefulness, right? And usually that happens when we are doing something we enjoy, maybe when we're in the flow state, right? There's this like sense of ease of, of being in the green zone. Right? There's like no tension in your jaw or your shoulders or anything like that. And if you want to set a boundary, you can because there's not a lot of anxiety surrounding that. Okay, so our main intention is basically to find a way back to the green zone always, and this is known as like the the zone of rest and digest. So we're able to sleep well, we're able to digest well, and our body is able to do all of the natural things it needs to do without the without the presence of stress. Okay, so. Anytime there is a threat in our environment or a perceived threat, whether it's a real threat or a perceived threat. And that's the thing about our nervous system is that as much as it is this like highly intuitive and very intelligent system in our body, it um, is also kind of dumb in some ways because it has a really hard time discerning between a real threat and a perceived threat. And a real threat could be like, you know, somebody running a stop sign heading towards you as you're on the sidewalk, right? That's a very real threat. Your body needs to activate itself to to get the hell away from that car and to jump out of the way, right? But a, a, a perceived threat is it's all dependent on our glasses, as I mentioned earlier. So really important to to know that even like we might even be thinking about something and that can create an activation of our nervous system that can that can very much trigger the stress response, because it's, it's clear in our mind. Okay, so important to kind of frame that. Um, and anytime there's a presence of threat, whether it's real or perceived, we jump down a, a space on the ladder, we jump down a step on the ladder, and we're known we're, we're in what's known as the yellow zone. And the yellow zone is when the sympathetic branch of our nervous system is activated. Okay, this is known as the fight or flight. Right. This might be as low in intensity as like a general feeling of unease. Like you're feeling pretty. Maybe you're a little stressed. Maybe you're a little anxious or a little irritated. And at the more extreme of the yellow zone, you're in almost a complete overwhelm of your nervous system, where there's so much adrenaline coursing through your brain um, and through your body, and your body is feeling extremely tense, extremely fluttery, very jittery. Um, so I mean, I guess a question for you, Megan, is when you feel very stressed, right? When your sympathetic branch is online, and you might know what that means, <laughs> when your sympathetic branch is online, when you're in the yellow zone, how does that feel in your body?
0: Yeah, for me, um, oh my gosh, there's so many little cues that I get, but um I often get um like I'll, I feel the general muscle constriction that mm-hmm. happens throughout my whole body. There's just like a mm-hmm. little more, um, like tensing or gripping or, or um, like kind of like self-protecting through the muscles. Um, and I usually, sometimes I get kind of like fluttery feelings in my belly and or like mm-hmm. t- t- tension there. Um, lots of tension in my jaw, and yeah. I'm definitely can be. My mind jumps around, but I also, my emotions jump around. So I might get irritated Mm. more easily um, or like cry at the drop of a hat, that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, totally, totally. And it's interesting how you um, discerned those two experiences as being very separate, but both connected. Yeah. Right? How there's like this um somatic experience right that's like the all of the um and you know basically what happens in our body is is all of the systems go into the sort of like self-protective mode so all of our blood rushes to like our internal organs and our muscles it's 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 known as the mobilization right it's the mobilization in preparation for fighting or running away from a threat right um and you also spoke of the the way in which your mind races okay so interestingly enough our mind will always jump in whenever the stress response is active as a way of trying to appraise the threat, right? So if you're feeling really anxious throughout your body, if your nervous system is like, boom, you're putting in the yellow zone, there's like some sort of threat in your environment um, or in your, in your mind's eye or something's kind of going on, your mind will try to make sense of it all as a way to kind of prepare you for the unknown it prepares you for the sort of imminent danger which is why we get these like the what if thoughts the shoulds, the like the labeling the fortune telling the mind reading and all of these other cognitive distortions which are very present at that time so even just noticing the quality of your mind might be a first a great first step okay and to move from the yellow zone to the green zone basically what we need to implement is some sort of an awareness Strategy or an awareness tool to soothe those sensations to remind our bodies that we are safe, right? Whether it's like through physical touch, whether it's through um, some activity, whether it's through meditation or breath work or something that just kind of soothes the intensity of those sensations. And then when we're in the green zone, we can then make those skillful decisions that are aligned with our values, okay. So the self-care for when we're in the yellow zone is in down-regulating. It's in soothing the sensations. It's, you know, softening out through the jaw, the hands, the shoulders, maybe practicing a few deep breaths. Journaling can be a very healing practice or yoga, something along those lines that really kind of help with those sensations. And then when the nervous system is soothed, we allow ourselves to kind of be in the green zone and in the green zone, then we can make those um, skillful decisions right? So we have the green zone, we have the yellow zone, and at the bottom of the yellow zone, um, we have the red zone. And this is when the dorsal vagal branch of our nervous system of our, um, yeah, the dorsal vagal branch of our nervous system is activated and we are in what's known as shutdown. Okay? So this is the freeze response. And this is basically when the threat becomes too overwhelming our body shuts down and we get into the state of disconnect. We get into the state of numbness and we get into the state of kind of dissociation where things just don't quite phase us anymore. And maybe we, that, that might look like somebody who has a hard time getting out of bed. Yeah. Somebody who has, you know, who's feeling really lethargic, really tired, Um, there might be a lot of anxiety, but typically there's a lot of shame surrounding being in the red zone. It's like the shame and the guilt, like, why can't I do this? Why can't I perform? Right? Like, why can't I even take care of myself in the most basic way? That's typically what shows up in the red zone. It's more of this like self-deprecating shame. And um, it's really disheartening. And I have a lot of a lot of compassion towards those who end up in the red zone. I myself have been there before. It is really, really challenging. Right. And I want to, I want, um, I really wish folks when they understand this a little bit better that they realize it's not their fault. Yeah. It's their nervous system really just saying I've had too much and too overwhelmed. The stress has been chronic for too long that I'm just shutting right down. Yeah. And the self care for the red zone is, self-compassion. A lot of the times it is in those heartfelt practices of self-compassion and trusting that your body has it in them to be able to regenerate because we all are born with this innate resilience. Okay. So self-compassion, trust, and anything that mobilizes your body. So this, the red zone is the immobilization and anything that we can do to kind of mobilize ourselves, whether it's just doing one little thing a day that moves our body you know just trying to take like 5 to 10 minutes a day of some sort of compassion practice and compassion compassion is not putting on like your rose colored glasses and saying i'm so cool i'm like i'm i'm okay like i'm just like the greatest person ever to live or whatever like compassion is not spiritual bypassing compassion is bearing witness to suffering whether it's your own suffering or the suffering of someone else with the well-wishing to want to end that suffering and the wisdom to understand that something you, sometimes you just can't do anything about the suffering, right? And that's that deep seated presence yeah. with whatever is showing up. It's, that, it's, it's the mindfulness, right? It's the, it's the being with, right? It's the self-kindness and the kindness towards others, and the resilience, the steadfastness of, of, of trusting that our bodies have this way of healing and that communities have a way of healing us as well. So compassion is really the focus of the red zone. And I think that is such an under, first of all, an underrated and a deeply misunderstood practice right? Mm -hmm. Self-compassion is not this, like, as I said, it's not the sunshine and rainbow spiritual bypassing. I'm just going to ignore all my problems kind of practice. It's this deep seated being with suffering with open arms and an open heart. And that is hard to do.
0: Yeah. Like lifetime to master, I think. Mm -hmm. And like, Mm -hmm. I often think of this idea of like, um, Like really just like tending to ourselves and, and like this idea of holding space, um, in a way that is gentle and tender. And, um, Mm. but that doesn't mean that it's not hard work. And I think one of the things that we can maybe bring in here is, um, like this idea that one of the things that can be really difficult when it comes to being with and sitting with our emotions is this, the fact that like, we don't really receive much education in terms of relating to our emotions in ways that are really healthy. And we don't Mm. really receive, we, a lot of us like have a, a really underdeveloped emotional vocabulary for even being able to, um, not just to express to others, but even to like express to ourselves, to be able to name what is happening. And, and so part of this is in the body, but part of it is also like recognizing that there are these like different flavors to emotions. And so I know Mm -hmm. one of the tools, um, that that you use is an emotion wheel. And yep. I'm like newer to this practice, but I think it's so neat. And um, I know you're posting on your social media, you have a cool new emotion <laughs> wheel pillow, which I love. Oh yeah. Because it sits on my therapy couch.
1: And then when folks are like, I just don't know how I'm feeling, I'm like, pick up the friggin' wheel, pick up the friggin' emotion wheel. <laughs> and, and
0: like an emotion wheel, put is, a name to
1: it. Yeah, it's super colorful.
0: It. And so if you haven't seen one before, you can like like pull out your phone and, and, and look up one right now. Um, but I think it's such a cool tool for Mm, like helping folks start to like discern and get more specific about what it is that they are experiencing. So can you tell us a little bit for someone who's unfamiliar with an emotion wheel or how to use one, like, um, like how they could maybe start to explore this a little bit.
1: Yes. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And the emotion wheel is such a beautiful and again, underrated and (laughs) underrated tool, which I I honestly, anybody who's listening to this podcast right now, like go Google emotion wheel, take a screenshot, put it on your phone screen saver on your background. And then print up like six copies, put one beside your bed, put one in your bathroom mirror, <laughs> put one on your
0: fridge. Decorate your, your whole house. house. Decorate <laughs>
1: your whole house in the spirit of this beautiful freaking emotion wheel. Cause it is so important because we need to find our own emotional language. My version of anger, Megan is totally different from yours.
0: Yeah. My
1: version of anxiety, my version of worry is completely different And that is to say, with every single person who's listening to this podcast and everyone in the world, that our emotional experience is completely unique to us. So we have to, we have to, we have to get to know our own emotional language and what our body is trying to communicate to us. And the best way to do that is by finding a tool that helps us give this language around what we are experiencing, right? And it's kind of um, there's this. I, I thought Brene Brown was the one who had actually coined this phrase, but um, when I Googled it, it turns out it wasn't her, even though I could probably attribute like everything to her. Cause I think she is an absolute earthbound angel and everybody needs to follow what Brene Brown says. She's, she's pretty great. Um, but it was ugh, crap. I did look this up after we had recorded the first podcast, but it's either Peter Levine or Dan Siegel, both of whom are are, are researchers in, in um, the field of trauma. One of them said, name it to tame it. Mm. So if we can know what we're dealing with, if we can identify what we're feeling, then we can find some sort of regulation tool or some sort of wisdom around what we're experiencing and why we're experiencing this, right? Like emotions don't always need tools, but they do need understanding. They do need wisdom. They want to be seen. They they want to be seen. Yeah,
0: and heard.
1: Yeah. Our emotions want to be seen and heard right so um the emotion wheel is basically a a big tool that kind of gives us this idea of what we're feeling and it's great it's got all these colors and you know because we can associate some emotions as being like red emotions and like green emotions and blue emotions and yellow emotions and all these other things so there's like an aspect of visualization to it as well and we start to kind of know what we're dealing with and i think that's what the emotion wheel is best known for is just helping us identify what we're what we're dealing with
0: yeah right yeah 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 no it's such a neat tool and um, and I like it too, because I know you're talking about, you know, my version of anger might look different than yours, but that mm. my version of anger might also look different on a Monday than on a Thursday or oh, totally. know, in fall versus winter and, and, and these seasons of life mm. that um, that we can get really curious about like, yeah. you know, on the emotion wheel, looking at anger and then looking at those subcategories and, and thinking about what's really happening yeah. for us, I think is so yeah. neat. Yeah. And-
1: it's important to frame too you'd said that you've spoken to this lack of education around emotions and I think that is just a product of this culture that we live in of this you know very western society a very capitalist mentality of saying you know we are our human worth is dependent on what we can produce Mm -hmm. right it has nothing to do with like how we're feeling it has nothing to do with The somatic experiencing it's just like if you can produce all this crap then you must be worth it right if you can show up for eight to ten hours a day at work plus overtime right if you can have this title or the social status or um or or just be this like productive machine right which is such a it is such a a harmful mentality because we're trying to plug in humans (laughs) through this through this I guess larger social context which is very oppressive in a lot of ways and there's just no room for feelings there yeah. are no room for feelings like I I would have scrapped every single lesson of trigonometry in grades like I don't know when the hell you start learning trigonometry which probably speaks to how well I did in math class for any sort of class on emotional awareness yeah. right that shit came to me with like my own therapy it came to me with my own um my own work as a yoga teacher and doing my yoga teacher training, my meditation teacher training and all of the work that I've done in mindfulness and then in therapy, like if it weren't for all of that, I would have no idea what I'm feeling half the time. Mm -hmm. Right now. I'm able to say, "Oh, boy, you're feeling a little overwhelmed. Oh, you're feeling a little off balance today. Or, Oh, you're a little angry. Okay. It's time to set a boundary with this person. Right. Like I understand it. Yeah. And it, 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 it took my own education and I don't think that that's right. Yeah. Right, if I were to speak very personally, I think it should be something that's privileged in our education system. And this this idea that like we are so quick to invalidate our emotions for very real reasons. Or we're so quick to invalidate the emotions of others.
0: Absolutely, or to police when or we, regulate how yeah. people ought to be. Frig, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: It's devastating. and, it, and it's re- it really 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 needs to stop because we do not know how the other person is showing up in their life or the hand that they've been dealt, the privileges that they have or that they don't have, if they've been marginalized or if their communities have been traumatized or if their community rather has been traumatized, right? Like we don't know. We don't know. So we cannot invalidate the emotion, el- the emotional experience of others. We really need to hold space for everything that shows up. And I think that's very important.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and I mean, I think that just really circles back to the, the mindful- compassion and, and, and holding space mm. and tending to what's there rather than trying to force or push or, or wish will some other experience into existence, but to, to meet, totally. to meet ourselves where we are. And I would love to kind of, as we wrap up today um, with this idea of like meeting ourselves where we are, mm. can you share, we are in like a tricky moment in time. And, and I mean, yeah. i I, um i shared a post last week about kind of some of the things i was going through and so mm. many people reached out to just share some of the things that they were going through and and like what that post brought up for them and and i think mm. like like l- l- everyone everyone is struggling yeah. with something right now um because we are in this like heightened time of mm. where there's a lot a lot happening um not just with coronavirus but um the ways in which like continued inequities are, are yes. like are surfacing in different ways, whether it's in the medical and healthcare system or, or, or whether we're, we're looking at other realms of, of society, like law enforcement or schooling or, um, or mm. access to resources. And so I would love to hear, like, I know you kind of, did some a a few little seeds around uh what a more radical approach to self-care looks like and a more compassionate and mindful approach to self-care like what does your self-care look like right now um Mm -hmm. and and (laughs) what might others consider as they are looking to care for themselves in this season where we find ourselves
1: yeah yeah and that's honestly Megan. I want to first and foremost say that your post was so beautiful and so touching. And I think that spoke to the experience of so many of us who are really struggling to show up in this world, Yeah. right? The pandemic has really um, shown a huge light on a lot of inequities that have existed for a really long time. Yeah. But now all of a sudden, because of this virus, like they have surfaced to the max, right? So it's all of these, like all of these inequities and these systems of oppression that have been raging rampant for so long that are now just kind of being blown up out of proportion because of the virus and because of the shutdowns and everything like that. So I, I, I hear you. And I hear, you know, when you had posted that, um, that, and you were speaking to your experience, you know, that vulnerability I think is something that we all really needed right now. So thank you for that. Thank you for that. Um, and to answer your question, Self-care, as I'd mentioned earlier, not necessarily about the bath bombs and the hair products and the skincare routine. And although those things are all great um, and helpful to a certain extent, I think self-care really surrounds the way in which we can show up for ourselves, respond to our needs, identify what we're feeling, you know, recognize it, understand it, and show compassion towards ourselves in the way of validating that whatever we're feeling is real. Whatever we're feeling is because our body is trying to tell us something. And that's real.
0: Yeah. Right? The
1: body doesn't lie. Right, The body doesn't lie. The mind likes to lie. The body doesn't. So my self-care routine right now involves a lot of sleeping. It has involved a lot of saying no. Um, it has involved a lot of lots of moments of crying and lots of moments of anger and frustration surrounding what's going on in the world um and just holding space for all of these stories of suffering whether it's you know stories that I'm experiencing or stories that other folks are experiencing as well so I think my self-care um although I am eating a lot of pizza and loving every minute of it. (laughs) And I am taking a hell of a lot of bubble baths and I am sleeping so freaking much. My body is really tired. Um, I think my self care is really just showing up for myself and learning how to befriend myself by way of understanding my emotions and tending to my emotions. Because if I'm able to take care of myself and if I'm able to respond to my needs in a way that is authentic, then I know I can do that for my clients. I know I can do that for um, for marginalized communities and for friends of mine who are part of those communities. So I know I can hold space for, I guess, healing. Yeah. By way of you know understanding, by way of taking care of myself. Yeah. Right? And it's not it's not a selfish sort of thing. Like I and I kind of want to frame for anybody who's kind of thinking like self care is selfish, right? self care again it doesn't have to be this expensive commercialized capitalist practice it's it is very much an authentic showing up for yourself and responding to your needs which can be so subtle right it might not even take a lot of energy yeah right and 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 by doing that you are liberating yourself and you're able to liberate those around you by showing up yeah and there's such a beautiful and complex experience behind this very subtle shift in the way in which we're viewing ourselves in the context of the world.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for sharing those thoughts. I think, I mean, at the root of it all and, and really at the root of this conversation today, I feel like what's really like shone through for me is like this idea of um, is, of like really meeting ourselves where we're at mm. and, and mm. Um, like paying attention to the body and paying attention or emotions and paying attention to what's needed with the recognition that it's going to look so different for all of us. And so Mm -hmm. the only way that we can move forward with that sense of alignment is by first getting really clear on, on what it is that, that we need, you know, and, and, you know, for you, sure. it m- might look like sleeping. And for me right now, like, um, like, I've had this very clear realization in the last few days that there's like some stagnation in my like body mm. and mind. And I actually need to be flushing things. And when I say that, I yeah. just mean, I need to be doing some gentle movement. And I need to be like, journaling, and I need to be finding ways to let out what's been building up. I need to like mm. find ways to, to sweat, find ways to like, it doesn't have to be intense, <laughs> but like
1: ways. to move your body yeah. and mobilize. Right. Cause I know, mobilize. you know, based on the, yeah. Based on what you had shared earlier this week, it sounds as though you've been in the red zone for so long. Yeah. Right. Like, and, and, and for me, like I'm existing in the yellow zone, especially when I'm, um, you know, holding space for my clients that can be really activating because I've got this big empathetic heart. Right. So I feel a lot of the emotions of others, so for me, it's going to look very different than for you. Absolutely. right? Like, And, and I think that's such a beautiful, um, you know, it's such a beautiful nod to what we had spoken about with the latter, right? Like, and everybody's self-care is going to look very different. And that just depends on where you are. So meet yourself
0: where you are. Yeah. Oh, so beautiful. Well, thank you so much, Teja, for um, thank you for sharing your wisdom and and shining your light. I love that the name of your practice is um, in- incorporates this word shine because you shine so bright in this world and the work thank that you're you. doing I think um, is so needed and and so powerful and so I'm really grateful for you having this conversation not only once but twice with me. <laughs> <laughs> and just sharing your wisdom. So thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, and Megan. It was an honor. For folks that want to follow along and, and stay in touch with your work, I know you post a ton of great resources. Where can they find you?
1: Yeah, so my Instagram is at ShineMindful. Uh my website is shinemindful.com. So you can find me on the interweb somewhere. I mean, I'm sure if you Google my name, it'll pop up
0: yeah absolutely <laughs> well thank you Teja, and uh, thank you keep shining bright a huge thank you to Teja for all of her wisdom in this episode and thank you so much to you for joining in new episodes of the podcast are released every tuesday that is when i remember to hit the record button um but i still look forward to connecting again soon and in the meantime if you want to stay connected you can always find me at MeganJohnston.com or on instagram it's at megan l johnston until we meet again keep living with heart and wonder